Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Grace and Peace of God, Love Wins. Today, we're going to talk about being yielded to Jesus. Before we can give, we must learn to live for the gospel. And we're going to look at a man named Stephen. Stephen was in training for Jesus by being placed within an insignificant position. He was an administrator or a messenger before becoming a martyr for the gospel. Now, in Christianity, martyr is simply a person who is considered to have died because of their testimony for Jesus or their faith in Jesus. And that's as opposed to a worldly martyr who is someone who chooses to sacrifice their life or face pain and suffering instead of giving up something that they hold sacred. And you know, we all have desires that are seated deep within our hearts to serve others. And when we're acted upon those desires, it's how we serve Christ. Stephen was named as one of seven managers in the role of food distribution. And Jews who had, had accepted Jesus were often the outcasts from their families. In the early church, believers needed to band together to support one another. They shared their resources, such as their homes and their food. And because of the growth that the church was experiencing, believers found that it was necessary to organize the sharing of these resources. And the growth was causing people to be overlooked and they began to complain. So Stephen was chosen to serve God's people because of his integrity, his wisdom, and his sensitive spirit to God. Stephen became a powerful voice for God. He was confronted inside the temple by groups who showed opposition. And yet when we read depictions of the early church, often we seem to think, boy, I wish the church was that perfect now. But in reality, the early church also had its share of problems as we do today. No church has ever been or will ever be perfect until Christ's second coming. So do small imperfections in your church seem to distress you? Well, take heart. Let me read from Acts chapter 6 verses 1 through 3, where it tells us seven men were chosen to serve. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. Those who spoke Greek complained against those who spoke Hebrew, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers. We apostles should spend our time preaching and teaching the word of God, not administering a food program, they said. Now look around among yourselves, brothers, and select seven men who are well-respected and are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We'll put them in charge of the business. So the 12 apostles, you see, they had a plan. But let me ask you this question. If the perfect church existed today, would you be allowed to be a member? We all need to do what we can to get along together, therefore advancing the gospel of Christ. And one more reason that seven Greek men were appointed to oversee the food distribution was because a disparity among the widows was happening. History says it probably was not intentional. Nonetheless, the Hebraic Jews or native Jewish Christians spoke Hebrew. The Grecian Jews were Greek-speaking Christians who were Jews probably from other lands who were converted at Pentecost. Pentecost. 
Now, the Greek-speaking Christians complained that their widows were being treated unfairly, and the language barrier probably aided in the communication breakdown. This solved the problem and allowed the 12 apostles to return to teaching and preaching the good news about Jesus after they laid hands on the seven men, setting them apart for their special service. And we find in Acts chapter 7, verse 7, that God's message was preached in ever-widening circles. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So we're seeing that ripples were created, spreading God's word far and wide. And now we can further that gospel in the same manner by touching the lives of those around us who in turn touch others. And it goes on and on. The message spreads outward. We must remember that we play a large part in the furtherance of the gospel. The book of Matthew chapter 28 verses 16 and 17 says, Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them still doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given complete authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. By the Holy Spirit's power, Stephen was a great evangelist, wise servant, and a miracle worker, and yet we learn he was arrested Why? Men from a synagogue called the freed slaves lied about Stephen. These men started to debate with him. And Acts chapter 6 verse 10 states that none of them was able to stand against the wisdom and spirit by which Stephen spoke. Verse 11 goes on to say they persuaded some men to lie about him, saying, We heard him blasphemy, Moses, and even God. Because of these men's lies, Stephen was arrested and brought before the Jewish high council. Now, the Sadducees were the dominant party in the high council. They only accepted the writings of Moses or the Torah, first five books of the Pentateuch. And to be accused of blasphemy against Moses was a crime. This accusation against Stephen was the same one brought before the council that they used about Jesus. Stephen addresses the council. He would launch into a long speech about Israel's relationship with God. And from the Old Testament history, he showed the Jews consistently rejected God's message and the prophets and that the council rejected the Messiah, who of course was God's son. And in his dissertation, he covered three main points. Point number one, Israel's history is the history of God's acts in the world. Point two, people worshiped God long before there was a temple because God does not live in a temple. And thirdly, Jesus's death was one more example of Israel's rebellion against and rejection of God. Now, it's interesting to learn that Stephen took this opportunity to recap his teachings about Jesus. He didn't get defensive. Rather, he took an offensive approach. 
Stephen accused the religious leaders of failing to obey, obey God's laws, the very laws that they had prided themselves on following. When we actively share our faith with others, there's no need to be defensive. When Stephen was presenting his defense, he pointed out the Jews' history and powerful accusations that stung to the core of his listeners. Members of the High Council became infuriated, and one can only imagine that Stephen realized at that point that after, at that point, that he was speaking his death sentence into existence. He was about to become the first martyr for the gospel. Stephen was stoned to death and simultaneously he asked forgiveness for his killers. Saul was among this group who held his killer's clothing while they picked up stones and heaved them at him. In Acts chapter 7 verse 59 It says, and as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. His final words are telling of how much like Jesus he had become. Stephen's death impacted Saul, who becomes later Paul of Tarsus, greatly. Paul would go on to become one of the greatest apostles of all time. Unlike Stephen, we may not be willing to die for Jesus. But let me ask you this question. Are you able to live for him? God's word promises that all things work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his purpose. The effects of Stephen's death were fourfold. First, Philip had an evangelistic tour. Second, Saul had his conversion to Paul on the road to Damascus. Third, we have Peter's missionary journey and tour. And then fourth, the church in Antioch in Syria was founded. After Stephen's death, the church got busy in following Christ's last command to spread the gospel worldwide. Paul's revelation with Jesus on the Damascus Road changed his life. Apart from Jesus, no one did more to shape Christianity than Paul. Paul was always extremely intense for his faith, but after meeting Jesus, he would channel it towards the gospel. Paul was a deeply religious man. He trained under Gamaliel, who was held in high esteem in Jerusalem at the local rabbinical school. His intentions and beliefs were sincere. His convictions held that Christianity was a danger to Judaism. This is what led Saul to being a persecutor of the Christian faith, showing zero tolerance or mercy toward Christians. And as previously mentioned, Paul met God on the Damascus Road where he was heading to persecute more Christians when God stopped him in his tracks. Up until this point, the gospel had made little headway in getting to the non-Jews or the Gentiles. The most significant preaching to date had been from Philip when he preached in Samaria and to an Ethiopian man. And under Peter, a Gentile named Cornelius was converted. And then Antioch and Syria, some Gentiles were converted there and became believers as well. Now Barnabas, the encourager, was sent to Jerusalem to look into the situation. He went on to Tarsus, which was Paul's hometown, to find Paul and bring him to Antioch. 
Together, Barnabas and Paul would work among the believers together. Paul's first missionary journey carried the gospel across the Roman Empire. And the early church had a big misconception that the Gentile believers had to follow the Jewish laws. Paul worked tirelessly in his efforts to convince both Jews and Gentiles that they were already acceptable to God. Through Paul, many people met and came to know Jesus Christ. No part of Paul's background was wasted. Like you and like me, we have the right background. We have the right training, the right nationality, the right mindset to be usable for kingdom purposes. We're equipped for such a time as this. Until we fully surrender to God, we'll never know the extent in which we can serve him. So to recap, if we had to put together a SWOT analysis for the Apostle Paul, it would look like this. S for strengths, former persecutor of Christians, converted to a preacher or an advocate for Christ, completed three missionary journeys. He was a New Testament author who penned probably 50 to 75% of the New Testament compilation. He was a strong personality, but always yielded to God. And Paul was known as the apostle to the Gentiles. W, weaknesses. He witnessed and approved of Stephen's stoning. He persecuted Christians and destroyed them. O, for opportunities. The gospel preaches that forgiveness and eternal life are available through Christ's free gift of salvation. Real freedom is achieved once we no longer need to prove our freedom to anyone. No time is wasted. God uses our past and present to pave the way for our future. T. Threats. Obedience is seen from our relationship with God, but true obedience cannot create or earn our relationship with God. So with that, I want to thank you for joining me on another episode. And if you, friends, are desiring to have what Stephen and Paul had and want to become children of God, spending eternity in heaven, then I invite you to pray this prayer of invitation to Jesus with me. Simply repeat after me. I repent and turn away from my sins. Come into and take up residence within my heart. I believe your blood was shed for all who believe that you took on the sins of humanity at the cross of Calvary. Amen. And friends, if you prayed that prayer of salvation, I believe you were saved and born again spiritually. Your next step is to read God's word daily so he can guide, direct, and reveal himself to you. And also, I recommend getting into a good Bible-based church where you can grow together with other like-minded Christians. So let me be the first to congratulate you on the most important decision that you've ever made. And as you go out into the world, remember the priestly blessing from Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show his favor and give you his peace. And one last thing that Paul says in the book of Philippians, he said, For to me, living is for Christ and dying is even better. Yet if I live, that means fruitful service for Christ. I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between two desires. Sometimes I want to live and sometimes I long to go to be with Christ. That would be better for me, but it's better for you that I live. All right, friends. Amen.